Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It's my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, where our mission is to serve you and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, gas prices. Yuck. The good news is we've been seeing them fall some lately, and you have far more opportunities to shop around and save. And after I take your questions, I want to talk about the job market. I need to talk about how recession-proof your job is or a job you're looking for. So it's unclear what's going to happen with gas prices moving forward. But we've had a really nice run with significantly lower price for a barrel of oil coming out of the ground. And U.S. production has been phenomenal. The U.S. is leading the world in the production of energy, both natural gas and oil coming out of the ground we can convert into gasoline and diesel. And just think about where we would be if we didn't have this production capacity. And I can tell you, because I was a young adult when we went through the Arab oil embargo at a time that the United States produced tiny amounts of energy, and they truly had us over a barrel. Today, what's happened with energy has been so rough for individuals, but has been, for the country, a mixed bag, because the energy industry has done its job and also for its stockholders generated massive profits. So for the U.S. economy, where in the past, when we were just an importer of energy, it was awful, awful, horrible. There was no redeeming value at all. Today, because of the success of hydraulic fracking, we've been able to become this huge force in energy, producing more energy than we need domestically, and to become a net exporter of energy. At great cost to us and what we're paying for natural gas, we've been able to provide relief to the Europeans who've been dealing with Putin using energy as a way to hurt Europe and try to force Europe to cower before his tanks. So we have been able to do the job, but at great cost to us as individual consumers. But anytime there's a big move in the price of energy at wholesale, we get these market weirdness cycles. There's got to be a better term for that than market weirdness cycles. We get these weird times where the price spread between the cheapest and most expensive gallon of gas in a metro area gets much wider. 
And some of it has to do with how often a particular gas station gets fuel. And so they may have bought fuel at a time that was cheaper, or they may have bought fuel at a time that was more expensive, and it may take them a long time to work through those gallons in their tanks. And then you have what are known as pumpers that, like a warehouse club, uh, many of them get gasoline deliveries three or more times a day, where a corner gas station might only get one delivery a month. So what's happening is particularly at a time that the wholesale price is declining, the gap in price in a market, in a metro area, even within a small radius of a part of a metro area you live in, there can be a massive price difference in what you pay per gallon of gas. And that number that I stated a couple of months ago when prices were going up, 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 was I said there could be a dollar a gallon difference. And we had some Clark Stinks posts saying that I didn't know what I was talking about, that they weren't seeing any difference where they live. And so I went on Gas Buddy and I started looking market by market. And sure enough, the price difference from cheapest to most expensive was around a dollar a gallon. And Anytime you see or hear the reports of the price of oil dropping or the price of oil rising, that's when you're going to see the greatest differences from station to station. When you're about a third of a tank is when you should start paying attention. Using Gas Buddy, Gas Price Watch, even Google Maps now, they if you click on gasoline, they're now posting the price of gas on the map. And you can see where the price is the cheapest in your area. And uh, something that was, this stat may be out of date now, but the percent of vehicles that need premium gas is around 3%. But historically, 20% of gallons being purchased were premium. So if you're buying premium gas and you don't need it, you're not doing your wallet any favor. You're not doing your vehicle any favor either. There's also a difference between when a vehicle says premium recommended versus premium required. A lot of vehicles that say premium recommended that have been built in the last many years are vehicles that the rated horsepower they advertise will not be met without buying premium, but the vehicle will run just fine on regular where you'll save typically 60 cents a gallon buying regular instead of premium. Krista? Okay, something about gas prices from David in Texas here. Much commentary is devoted to high gasoline prices, but I believe gas prices are cheap. Why? I see gas being wasted every day and all the time. Each time I walk across a parking lot, someone is running the engine while their car is stationary, playing on their cell phone or keeping the AC going instead of going into the store or office building. People also pick up their mail at group mailboxes and read it there while the engine runs and instead they could read their mail at home 50 yards away. This not only wastes money, it also helps fill the air with greenhouse gas fumes. This also happens at fast food drive through lanes, but those lanes became necessary for public health reasons during the pandemic. I just believe that engines should not be running unless the car is moving. Clark, I know this is more of a 
comment than a question, but why can't there be more awareness of the environmental harm and loss of money when this happens? So, okay. (laughs) Thank you. My family is upset with me because I won't go through a drive-thru. I always go inside because usually it's a lot quicker to go inside and I don't want to waste fuel, which uh, I drive an electric car now, so there's basically no waste, but I'm just so stubborn about that. But yeah, that's a big waste of fuel. All that time people spend idling to go through a drive through and sitting there in your vehicle, just letting it run blows my mind. But I saw something that was part of a story on gasoline recently. I don't remember where in the country it was, but a major police department, it was one of the big cities. Okay, this is shocking. In that city, gosh, I wish I could remember which city it was. More than half of car thefts were vehicles that people left running unlocked while they went in somewhere. So they could keep the car cool or whatever. And crime of opportunity, a criminal just comes along and they're like, oh, look at that. That car is saying, steal me. And somebody who just ran into the 7-Eleven or ran in wherever comes out and bam, their car is gone. Do you find any stats on that at all? No, I was looking at news stories to see if I could find the one. But I mean, every it looks like every city's stories about about car thefts being up. The car left running is the big issue. I've definitely oh, heard here's that. one. More than half of cars oh, stolen Atlanta. in Atlanta were left running unattended. The police chief says, "How about that?" Yep. So um, I'm sure that's not unusual that Atlanta has more than half. It's one of the largest cities, metros in the country. I'm sure that trend is similar elsewhere. Stop wasting gas and don't let somebody run away with your vehicle too. This is from Lieutenant Colonel John in Washington. Captain Clark, thanks to the Clark team on a lifetime of great advice that we use every day. We're taking our first trip to Australia and plan to rent a car for part of the time. We have USAA insurance, which we love, but when I called to check if Australia is covered for rental cars, they said it is not. Who should we look at for short-term rental car insurance while there? First of all, thank you for your service. It's exciting that you're going to Australia. Yes, I love Australia. And I'm disappointed USAA won't cover you while you're in Australia. So there are some third-party car rental booking sites where if you book with them like rentalcars.com, they will sell you coverage at a cheaper price. Also, several credit cards that offer basic coverage for free when you rent a car will sell you supplemental coverage to replace what your own automobile insurer will not cover, in this case, not covering in Australia, some won't cover Ireland, some won't cover Italy, some won't cover Israel. You notice several of those start with an I? Hmm. Most people starts with an I. Anyway, if you buy it up front from who you're booking the rental car with or through your credit card, you'll get really solid coverage for liability, typically, property damage, you know, the collision damage waiver, all that, by paying for it up front. Now, using, we've got a list of the best credit cards when you're renting a car. 
that provide primary coverage, but it has to cover more than, that's at Clark.com, has to cover more than just the damage to the vehicle. It also needs to cover the liability, and that's what you may want to buy from who you're booking the car with. I'm not talking about when you're booking from Avis or National or Hertz or something like that. I'm talking about when you use a third-party booking service, you can buy that coverage typically from them before you do your rental at a much lower price effectively per day than from the car rental company directly. And this is from Ian in Ohio. I was originally planning to purchase a new electric vehicle in 12 to 18 months once prices moderated. However, I've recently heard discussions that the federal tax credit may not be extended or may be drastically reduced. In addition, I expect car loan interest rates to be higher than they are now. With that said, do you think it would be better to move forward with an electric car purchase now or still wait the 12 to 18 months? Ian... I hope you're not hating me in a year, year and a half. I think there's an enormous advantage for you to wait to buy that electric vehicle. The electric vehicle market is going to have dozens of new models rolling out over the next two years. And the supply chain issues, obviously, over time will resolve. The cost of electric vehicles that has uh, really gone up recently, negating plus the advantage of the federal tax credit, I think you're better off waiting. There are going to be some very aggressive players in the market. One that's been a real surprise aggressive player has been Hyundai and Kia that have critically acclaimed electric vehicles. And you're going to see from so many manufacturers, so many models of electrics coming in, that you're going to see these higher prices we've had recently come back down and they'll more than cover that tax credit, even if the tax credit does go away. Uh, Coming up next, crystal ball again, the job market, what we're looking at is we move to closer and closer to a possible recession. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the recession, are we going to have one? <laughs> Man, economists disagree so much. The, uh, the financial sector disagrees so much. But the odds are probably at least 50-50 that we will have some degree of recession. There are many definitions of what makes a recession, but an economic slowdown is exactly what the Federal Reserve and central banks around the world are trying to engineer to squeeze the inflation out of our economy and economies overseas. Uh, You may not be aware because we only look at what we're facing. Inflation is a worldwide result of COVID and all the disruptions that COVID caused and all the reactions that governments took to COVID with all the money they pumped in, all these things 
have led to this worldwide phenomenon of inflation. And inflation can take on a life of its own. So that's why our Federal Reserve and other central banks are engineering economic slowdowns that they hope stop short of a recession but couldn't lead to one. So there are employers that have decided, hey, we're not going to fill vacant jobs. Uh, You know, companies like Apple have announced that they're going to reduce hiring, that they're going to try to control budgets because they don't know what's coming next. Capitalists hate uncertainty. And one thing you can do is you can say, oh, well, we had these vacant positions. They've been hard to fill anyway. We're just not going to fill them. That's a long way from going to the point where you say, okay, we're going to get rid of a bunch of people. But if you've been through that in the past, where you thought your job was secure and suddenly they give you the heave-ho and you want to avoid that if the economy does get into more trouble than it looks like it's going to get into right now, but you're worried about that, there are four sectors that CNBC reported on that are the most recession-proof of any job sector in the United States. Number one, far and away, healthcare. Now, when I talk about healthcare, you're probably thinking, well, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a nurse, I'm not a medical tech. What is that going to do for me? Well, the reality is, uh, healthcare is an extremely labor intensive field with a huge number of jobs that are not medical service delivery. They are not what they say, patient fronting. The healthcare sector has so many different types of jobs that that is an area to look at. Second, government. Government at all levels, short of workers. Because government historically has not paid as well as the private sector. So those jobs have been really hard to fill at all levels. Um, A lot of local governments and state governments have been boosting pay recently because they just can't fill critical jobs. And so it's a time that government jobs are paying more than they historically have. And governments tend to not lay off workers during a recession. There was some of that during the Great Recession, but it's a very rare circumstance. Uh, Another field that actually does require that you have the direct skills, and that's anything computers, info, technology, that area is one that continues to have far more openings that pay really well with a continuing growth as share of the economy here and overseas that's a great opportunity area. A lot of the training you need to work in the computer field does not require a college degree, but would require maybe a technical school or something like that. And then the last area that is hurting for certain, education. Oh my goodness, I was just reading a story about the public schools in Tampa, Florida, and how short they are for teachers for the school year coming up. 
And they had so many teachers quit or retire back in the spring that they have a massive shortage. And this is something that more or less has been happening all around America. And if you have interest in education and you want to go into a field where you are about as recession-proof as any you could ever go into, teaching is it. But again, in education, a lot of the jobs are not in the classroom. And a lot of those jobs are vacant as well. And there may be something that you'd be really good at that your skills fit that don't require that you be a teacher, but that you work for a school system or a university or something like that. So that's just four examples. As far as the overall job market, there's almost zero chance that we're going to have massive waves of unemployment like we had from 2007 to 12. That is almost certainly not in the cards. The only way that would happen is if something really unexpected and terrible happened in the world, and I can't even go there. I know that in times of uncertainty, our minds go to the worst circumstance we could think about, and I can tell you we're not barring something really crazy happening. We're not going to anything like the job losses that happened in the recession that started 15 years ago, period. All right, we'll go to some questions. This is from Shay in Kentucky. I'm fortunate enough to be in a career that has a pension. I started as a special education teacher, just talking about teachers, at 23 years old. Wow. I'm entering year 19 this fall. I'll be eligible to, for full pension when I'm 50, and it will nearly be tripled if I work until I'm 55 due to actuarial, actuarial math. My Say con- that three times. I know. <laughs> My concern is how to prepare for retirement. I won't get Social Security. I contribute minimally to a 403B, 457, Roth IRA, money market, and term life insurance. My student loans were forgiven in April due to PSFL waiver. Yay. I'd like to roll over these Public mon- service loan forgiveness. I'd like to roll over those monthly payments into the most advantageous retirement plan. What's the best game plan for the few of us who still get pensions? So for you, absolutely, you want to focus your efforts on a Roth IRA to be able to pop six grand a year into it because you're in your 40s, when you turn 50, you'll be able to step it up. Who knows what amount it'll be by the time you turn 50. You want to do it with one of the ultra-low-cost companies so that the money is efficiently working for you. Your 403B almost certainly is junk. Almost all 403B plans in America are terrible. So uh, doing a Roth IRA with an ultra-low-cost provider would be what you should do. Now, The three simplest choices are Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity. They have no cost to running the Roth IRAs. You only pay the management fees for whatever investments you go into that are all sold commission-free. And I have a simple investment guide at Clark.com. And that pension is going to provide you real comfort in retirement. The money you put in the Roth IRA is going to allow you potentially to live even better after you're retired than you have lived while you're working. 
And this is from Mark in California. I'm in my late 40s and have a decent job running a very small nonprofit, but I feel stuck. I would like to make a switch, but I don't know what to do. I feel like I'm running out of time. I was placed here out of college and I never left. As a Clark aficionado, of course, I'm frugal and have a decent 401k plus separate retirement and only have mortgage debt. So I could take a lower paying job if there was something that spoke to me. Do you have a resource that you would recommend that would help somebody determine their passion or best life path? I have a lot of interests, but there's not one that sticks out to me. I feel a little lost and thus never take any action. So Mark, my favorite thing for you to do is to go volunteer at organizations you care about. You're in the nonprofit sector. You obviously enjoy helping people. You just feel like your uh, mind is numb from what you've been doing all these years. Go volunteer at places that you think you'd really enjoy. You may find that new home through that discovery. If you would really be more interested in seeing what the traditional profit sector has available, you could um, do some gig work and expose yourself to other people, other opportunities, and see if there's something there that, that excites you where you're not excited anymore. Take someone out to coffee or see if they can give you a half hour of their time. So people you know who are acquaintances, friends, who really are jazzed about what they do, what Chris is talking about, is you go sit and chat with them. Um, And uh, the formal name for it is an informational interview, but it doesn't even need to be that much. It's just you're, you're on an exploration to see if you can find Mark what would feel right to you is the next thing to do. But I find that a lot of people who are mid-career and lost find their best direction through volunteering, that that seems to be where they find the next best thing that really takes them to a new place with not dreading going to work or being bored by work, but being excited by the work they're doing. Okay, and this is from Rachel in South Carolina. My employer uses a high-fee brokerage for all of our employees' simple IRAs. We have also been pre-assigned a wealth advisor, and I have not been happy working with him. I contribute a large sum monthly and also receive a company match, but feel trapped using this brokerage and advisor when I'd rather self-direct. What is the best way around using this expensive brokerage? I've pleaded several times to switch to a low-cost provider like Vanguard. So your employer uses a lousy choice for the employee retirement plan. Uh, Ultra, ultra high cost. They're not a fiduciary, meaning that the advisor you've been assigned to is somebody who's pitching ultra high commission things for you to go into in addition to the really crummy retirement plan you have. So... What I recommend you do is if you're still income eligible and they don't want to play this game, you do your own Roth IRA. I was talking about earlier with the Roth IRA, you can put six grand into it each year and you could do that with one of the low costs. You mentioned Vanguard, you're comfortable with them. You could do that. Just do the target retirement fund for the year closest to when you're going to retire And that if you want to do more money, this adds complexity, but I would look at doing fidelity investments 
and doing the Fidelity Zero funds. They are funds where Fidelity, as a marketing ploy, uh, makes them available 100% free to people who invest with them. And you can put in as little as $1 and go into, this It would be a regular investment account beyond what you can do in a retirement account. And they have a total stock market. They've got a variety of choices you can look at. And you throw money in there, you're avoiding all the crazy commissions this terrible company charges, and you're paying no fees at all versus the very high fees with this high-cost company that your employer uses. There's got to be some kind of personal relationship between the owner of the company and somebody with this company because they're harming themselves. You know, more money in the plan is that employer's money than anybody else. And they're stabbing themselves in the back for their own retirement and their own long-term wealth by using this ultra-high cost place. Now, Rachel, you may have said this. Um, she should. Do you think she should still contribute up to the match, though? Oh, yeah. She did say so she has with a company the, match. With the program you have with the employer, definitely up to the match. And then beyond that is where I want you to do these other things. Thank you for sure point that out. I missed that. I want you to contribute to your own Roth IRA. And then if you want to contribute more, then into an investment account. And the investment account, even though it's subject to tax, would still be much cheaper. And you'd end up with more money down the road, paying tax on your earnings than you would with the employer plan, where ultimately you have to pay tax on everything in the account. And you would have paid all these gigantic, organic fees that are charged in the plan. I think a lot of times smaller business owners, owners of smaller businesses are busy running the business. They don't necessarily understand investing. They got this buddy who does this, that, or the other, and they do the employee plan and their plan with that buddy, not realizing It'd be better just to go play golf with the buddy and not invest with that person. Hope you enjoyed this episode. In reality, there are so many questions we get every day, every week, and we can only get to so many. I want to tell you, for just short of 30 years, we have the Team Clark Consumer Action Center where you can ask your question and get advice and guidance for free 30 hours each week. And I appreciate so much our volunteers and our paid staff in the Team Clark Consumer Action Center. You can learn how to reach a volunteer or a staffer at clark.com slash CAC.